you pride yourself on finding the best deals and savings? Yes, it's me. I'm raising my hand. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. Shop brands like Macy's, Adidas, YSL Beauty, Samsung Petco, just to name a few. Plus, membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Here's how it works. Stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and then Rakuten shares a commission with its members via check or PayPal quarterly. And you better believe how exciting it is when your PayPal alerts you that you've gotten money. It's no wonder Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. Or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cashback really adds up. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right. Um, welcome to episode 169. 169. Wow. I've waited a long time for this episode. It's finally here. A hundred episodes. A hundred episodes since the last 69. Yeah. And then in a hundred episodes, I'm probably make the same exact noise. So don't worry about it. I'll keep the tradition going. (laughs) Excellent. Hello, everyone. Hello, Em. Hello. How are you? Are you are you faring well? I am faring okay. Uh, I counted on the calendar. I haven't seen you in 24 days. Ugh, 24. Too soon, I gotta say. Or too late? What is it? What's the <laughs> one? Where? What is it? Where is it where I never see you again? And that's what I want. What are, what are, you, trying to ins- are you trying to insult I wanna, me? I want to imply I that okay. I wish it was uh, a thousand days. What is that? <laughs> that is uh, that you quit the podcast, I oh. guess, which please don't do JK, that. Okay, I don't want to. Also, uh, speaking of which, I know a lot of people just saw us. This will come out in a couple days. But a lot of people just saw us on uh, Instagram Live. We just did that right before we recorded this. And I'd like to mm-hmm. reiterate that I made a lot of jokes, but no, Christina's not pregnant. That was... Thank you for saying she's that. She's pregnant with triplets is what i wanted to say she <laughs> oh <laughs> god to the story no. that i forgot to mention oh my god no somebody for some reason like i had put on this like really weird oil serum beforehand so i looked really shiny my face and uh someone said oh you have that pregnancy glow and i was like did i miss something and then all these people were like christine's pregnant and meanwhile i'm sitting there talking about like vodka and like how much i love vodka <laughs> and everyone's like oh no I'm not pregnant. Um, Trust me. (laughs) I really. So, yeah, someone said that you were glowing and then I just ran with it. And then people were coming onto the Instagram live later and we didn't Mm -hmm. discuss it again. So people took it seriously. So I'd like to apologize. I just don't want the not to Christine, Reddit, but just other people. (laughs) Anyway, point being, I'm not pregnant. But uh, my favorite was that a lot of people were saying oh god you guys like terrified me i got this pit in my stomach when i thought christine was pregnant i was like okay well clearly people are not going to be excited whenever that happens <laughs> well i mean well 
I listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I wouldn't be nervous. I'd be like, can you travel? <laughs> can, what can we do? <laughs> well, I'd be to be like, fair, none of us can travel. So what that's does it true. matter anymore? Although it is cold and that's why we drink. And if two of us aren't drinking, I mean, you've been like the glue in this whole podcast because of your, (laughs) because of your boxed wine. But think of all the bitching I could do. Oh, wait a minute. They wait a minute. (laughs) And that's why we, and then like a little triangle punctuation thing, wish we could drink. Oh, triangle punctuation thing. I don't know what it's called. Sad. Um, anyway, yeah, so we, I also wanted to mention, I'm glad you said that because we do, I don't think we've talked about this, but we do, uh, every Thursday we're doing a happy hour live stream on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, just for fun. So anyone who wants to join can watch and ask questions and, uh, watch Em and me, you know, catch up Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing every Thursday. So that's on our Instagram, ATWWD podcast. Um, what else? Oh, so I guess I wanted to add, because a lot of people have been asking, um, so our entire tour, spring tour, is postponed. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) I think, like, we just kind of assumed that was clear, but I guess not all the venues have been updating people as thoroughly as we'd hoped. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the May shows, unfortunately, are all postponed. If you check our website, some of the uh, cities have new dates, some don't. Uh, And so we're just keeping tabs on that really closely. But the second we know something, we will tell you. But uh, as of now, yeah, we don't have anything planned um, until the the rescheduled. Yeah, just in case you had some sort of doubt that like maybe your show wasn't going to be rescheduled, they all are. <laughs> they, they're all going to be rescheduled. Womp, womp. And uh, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, I know it's a real bummer, and we've just kind of had to like give into it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, lucky Jenna. Jenna Drysdale, Drysdale, I don't oh. know, is the patron of the week this oh, week. Yay. So Jenna, thank you for your long-standing support. I appreciate it dearly. I hope you still listen to the podcast. Who knows anymore? <laughs> um, but if you do, you are very special to us. Nice. Um, I'll s- go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, they're so stupid. Okay. It's stupid, but, but I'll say it. Um, so I've I have been like updating my close friends Patreon list on Instagram, and um, I asked people to vote and help me pick my new Warby Parker glasses. And um, some people got real salty with me, and like I posted this one picture, and it was like the Jeffrey Dahmer style glasses, like the '80s glasses. Yeah, and I really liked them, but people were coming out of the woodwork to be like, "Those are horrible and tacky. Oh, no. and you look like Jeffrey Dahmer." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so of course, I like really hate when people tell me I know what I can't. So do. let me guess, you bought them? <laughs> so I definitely ordered them for the try on. Yep, that sounds pack right. or whatever. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And I mean, even Blaze was like, that looks like what an 80s murderer would wear. I was like, well, that's because it is. It is what right. an 80s murderer did wear. Hell on the head there, um, Blaze. <laughs> yeah, good job. You finally caught on to something true crime related. Uh, but yeah, so thank you to those people who helped me pick my glasses. And also no thank you to you because some of you were not nice. Some of you were very nice and were like, no, those look adorable. So I was like, thank you. I know you're just trying to make me feel better but well there you go i'm i'm not surprised at all you didn't even have to finish the story because the second the second <laughs> you told me that people said no i knew christine immediately was like well i bought three of them 
It's because I, I, I want to prove people wrong. I'm like, I don't like people telling me I've just like done something terribly wrong, especially when it's on my face. Um, <laughs> and then somebody said, it's not about, what did they say? Oh my God, this was probably one of the rudest ones. And trust me, whoever hears this probably is going to be like, oh, I said that. I'm not saying it like I took it really personally. It just was like cracking me up. But one of the comments was like, <laughs> one of the comments said, it's not about Jeffrey Dahmer. They're just horribly tacky or ugly and then and then literally just wrote you're better than that oh and i was God. like cool. <laughs> and that's the that's the message uh whoever you are close friend that's the message the best part is you're not better than that because you've still got them <laughs> exactly and the, the, the fact that they told me i was better than that i was like you watch you watch how much i'm not better than that oh yeah trust me that's the truth i will prove it to all of you anyway so that's my new update uh <laughs> Life is thrilling, I guess I am trying to say. Uh, I have uh, one update. So I was on uh, the podcast, um, The Carrie Allen Picture Show, which is hosted by my friend Dennis. Um, <gasps> I know you guys hear me talk a lot about um, how much I'm, I don't know if you hear me talk about it a lot, but I have mentioned on the show before that um, I listened to the show and acquired taste and I am really good friends with Bethany, who is the one of the hosts of the show. And uh, through her, I met her boyfriend, Dennis, and him and I hit it off like almost even better than me and Bethany did, if possible. And um, so while we're all quarantined, I I was on an episode of his show. So I wanted to give that a shout out. I didn't know that. Yeah. What's it called? uh, It's called the Carrie Allen Picture Show. Carrie is C-A-R-Y. But if you guys want to go listen to me talk about Back to the Future, by all means. Absolutely, I do. It's not like I don't hear that every day. I'm just kidding. Well, that's the truth. (laughs) He asked a lot. He was a a very good interviewer. He asked me. He had clearly done some research and was asking me some of like the questions I was not expecting. I had to defend myself on why I used to think I was a boxcar child. So, (laughs) but yeah, I like to hear that. that. No, you don't. Yeah, I. <laughs> I follow them on Instagram and he's very, very cool. Like he's like a filmmaker, right? Yeah. Like he's just very New York and very cool. Like I'm intimidated he's by him. Very New York. When uh him and I hung out, we were comparing his Italian mom to my Jewish mom and we realized we had the oh, same boy. mom. So Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited. I did not know this, so I'm gonna tune in for sure. Mm-hmm. Um Cool. Well, uh, that's, that's much update. more exciting than my fucking update. So I'm glad that I went first. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Do we have anything else? I guess that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. I feel like every week I'm like, shit, I forgot to mention something. But um, basically, we just told you the whole tour was canceled. Come to our Instagram. <laughs> we love Jenna. We- <laughs> and I'm Jeffrey Dahmer. And you're Jeffrey Dahmer, great. yes. And also, Christine doesn't know how to walk away from someone telling her no. So well, that's true. That is a life lesson that everyone has just learned. Yeah. If thinking about salsa in a variety of delicious flavors and heat levels makes your mouth water, you need to check out Green Mountain Gringo. And make sure to turn the jar around and take a look at its clean backside. A list of its all-natural ingredients. Of course, that's what I meant, of course. And all their products are preservative-free, too. With the medium salsa, you get hearty chunks of tomatoes, tomatillos, peppers, and onions in every scoop. I'm reading the ad and my mouth is watering. 
anyway, the hot salsa brings flavorful heat to every meal with each bite containing jalapenos, serrano peppers, and other savory herbs. Plus, they've got a hot sauce with a tangy, spicy flavor that enhances the simplest of meals. It's perfect for avocado egg toast or tacos. I sort of feel like they're reading my mind because I put salsa on almost everything, but specifically, I use their salsa. I use usually the medium salsa and then uh, also the hot sauce on my avocado egg toast. And I don't know how the script knew that. Maybe everybody eats this, but I always make toast with avocado and then I put scrambled eggs on top and I put salsa. I can't eat it without salsa. And the Green Mountain Gringo is always there for me in the fridge because it really adds to, I mean, any meal if you're me, but definitely the eggs avocado toast situation. Visit GreenMountainGringo.com and start shopping. Use the store locator to find Green Mountain Gringo products, get inspiration for recipes, and purchase products using promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off. That's promo code PODCAST24. And don't forget to check out their backside. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So my my story this week is one that I know you're going to like a lot for two reasons. I was kind of just perusing the Google net, if you will. Oh. And uh, I found this story totally by accident. And the two main themes in it are both like the most Christine thing I could think of. Oh. And you're going to enjoy it a lot. So um, my story is a person this time and the person's name is dorothy ed it's e-a-d-y um later known as omseti o-m-m-s-e-t-y omseti whoa okay and so this is considered one of the most uh probable and believable cases of reincarnation ever <gasps> and oh yeah she claims to have been an, an egyptian priestess oh my god i'm so excited egypt and reincarnation and i was like sign me the fuck up for christine yeah you just you just gave me some some goose cam i'm ready okay so dorothy Edie. um so she in 1904 her story starts it was dorothy louise Edie. um she was born in london and she was an only child her parents were um in a irish lower middle class um status they were a tailor and a homemaker Um, They didn't have a lot of money, but they tried their best to always take care of Dorothy. And um, at three years old in 1907, they were at their home and Dorothy fell down the stairs. And when she fell down the stairs, she hit her head pretty hard. And the doctor came because that's when house calls were a thing. Um, Right. And the doctor pronounced her dead. Like she was. Whoa. She was gone. And shit. uh, the doctor returned an hour later to issue like their death certificate and to like take the body away. And when he got back, Dorothy was not only alive, but like playing games as if nothing happened. Oh my God. Um, so after the fall, Dorothy started showing some really odd behavior. Um, so she, when she fell, she potentially hit her head. Um, well, she definitely hit her head. <laughs> Let's be clear. But she either, <laughs> 
she, I think they because she died and then like woke up having this weird personality, people immediately thought something weird was going on. So she was uh, really detached. She was really depressed. She was amazed by everyday things. She was like things that she had seen before. She was just shocked by as if she'd never seen them. Oh. She also had foreign accent syndrome, which uh, is fascinating to me. Have you heard about this? No. Tell me everything. So I, I, if it's this, if it's what I'm thinking of, it's the same uh, situation that comes from uh, a lot of people that wake up from comas. They'll just <gasps> wake up and have a random accent that like stop, or they'll like know languages that like they. That is so wild to me. Like, uh, there have been stories of people waking up from a coma and all of a sudden like speaking fluent Spanish and like not having ever known that they could do that, and so. I think foreign accent is on the same line where you just wake up and have a totally random accent that makes no sense based on who you were before the accident. Um, Oh, my God. But so she begins also asking to go home, but her parents tell her you're already home. And so she starts getting really upset and is regularly asking to be brought home. Um, She begins to have these really wild dreams about big ancient buildings with columns with fruit and flowers wrapped around the columns and she constantly is demanding that there so i guess in one of her books she found a chapter on ancient egypt and she (laughs) demands that her parents read it to her over and over and over again and she doesn't care about any other story i don't know if it's the same book but in in a book at the same time she ended up finding a picture of ancient egypt and she said there that's my other home Oh, my God. Yeah. She's like, take me home. They're like, we're not flying uh, to Egypt, but <laughs> like, nice try. Nice try. <laughs> it is also like 1907. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to take you there. We can't fly. Never mind. We're not getting on a boat. <laughs> yeah. So in uh, so as of 1908, her parents, like, they, she's still acting really off, but her parents are trying to give her the best education they can give given their financial status. Um, They're trying to also make sure she's like socializing well and, you know, trying to get her back to who she was. But Dorothy's behavior starts like really pissing a lot of people off. So she gets kicked out of uh, Sunday school for comparing ancient Egyptian religion to Christianity. And so they were like, "Uh, goodbye, go away. Wow. Ouch. Okay. She also ends up getting expelled from school in general because she refused to sing a hymn that apparently in this hymn, it contained a verse that um, asked God to curse the Egyptians. What? And so she was like, I'm not singing that. And then she got kicked out of school. God, that sounds like my school growing up. (laughs) We had to sing the goddamn. We had some kids who were Jewish and they were like, we don't want to do this. And they were like, you have to. So yikes. Oh, my God. Sucks for you. Oh, yeah, it was bad. Allison and I were just re-talking about your school. We were trying to explain it to RJ, and I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, when we say a castle, like, <laughs> we mean this This school is, like, a literal, like, I'm not being dramatic in saying this school is, like, a big mansion. Like, it was literally, like, picked out of England and brought over, oh, and it's a castle. I'm not even going to give them the, the benefit of saying their name. I did not have a good time there. Let's just put it that way. But, yes, it is uh, very grandiose. Just Google image castles in Ohio, <laughs> and you might find Christine's school. Oh, my God. Um, anyway, it was very bougie. It made I, – I felt like such trash thinking, like, I went to private school when I saw that you – 
apparently went to Europe for school. You were like, what's in that building? And I was like, that's the chapel. And you were like, what? And I was like, that's where we go every Wednesday. And then my brother and I were talking about this too, because we were like, yeah, you know, we went to the same school for 18 years. Like it was never a thing. And then we went to college and we were like, yeah, well, you know where you can't walk on a certain part of the marble because the nuns are buried underneath. And they were like, what? And we were like, yeah, the nuns were buried in the catacombs underneath the chapel. And people were like, what are you fucking talking about? Pavalia Island is where Christine basically went. Yeah, I mean, truly, like there are graves in the in the chapel that are like the surface of the ground and you you're you walk over them. And uh, we weren't allowed to walk on them to respect, you know, Sister Sister Teresa and uh, let her be buried in peace. It's very weird. It's a very creepy situation. It anyway. sounds like a, like a really sad version of Harry Potter. Um, yeah, it's like a really unfun version with no magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be like, if I were to be like the devil's advocate here, Harry Potter's life didn't sound that great either. It sounded like he was like, oh, really no, you're going totally right. It. Every time I watch Harry Potter, I'm like, oh, I'd be dead, like, by now. Like, I don't know how he survived this long. I'd be dead in the first movie, for sure. Uh, because I, because I, you know, snoop around on TikTok, I found a really good TikTok of uh, someone pretending to be Harry Potter or someone that went to Hogwarts and uh, just, like, a random Hogwarts student being like, I would like to leave. And Dumbledore's like, why? And he, the guy was like, why? Are you kidding me? Like, why do I want to be here? Let me count the ways. <laughs> Has like entire castles on fire. Oh okay, my so anyway. god. Um, so yeah, she was expelled from school because she didn't want to sing about cursing Egyptians. And then Dorothy also uh, got kicked out of mass in general. So now she's like kicked out of general school, Sunday school, and church. Just oh fucking no. Church. And her family's Irish, so they were like Yikes. devout Irish Catholics, and she got kicked out of mass Not because good. she said it reminded her of quote the old religion. <gasps> So, so they were like, "Mm, you got to go. So um, (laughs) (laughs) small child, they're like, the parents are like, no, no, trust me. It's a phase. She was like, how is no one understanding what's what I'm going through? Oh, sad. So one day her parents, I guess they're like trying to educate her on their own now. And so they start bringing her to museums and they um, bring her to uh, the British Museum. And apparently when she was there, she saw this ancient Egypt exhibit and this girl sounds a little dramatic to me, but also I have, I don't remember any of my past lives. So who's to say at this point, but she saw the ancient Egypt uh, exhibit and she dropped to her knees, started kissing the feet <gasps> of the statues and said, these are my people. Whoa. That's what happened when you went to Canada. I was like, we're in the airport. <laughs> like we're in the fucking Vancouver airport. Get off the ground. It is filthy down there. Em. <laughs> that was exactly what i did every single i was like amazed again i wait actually was i experiencing another life probably i was amazed i was amazed by everyday things i was like look look at this water bottle like yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) do you remember when i experienced like fruit by the foot but in canada and i was like oh my gosh it's like i've already forgot by the meter fruit by the meter or something i was like what is happening over here I was blown away. Isn't it? Or fruit by the yard or something? I don't know. No, it was it was like fruit or de long just, or something. Oh, that was just a joke that we made. Uh, right. I just kept calling it fruit by the meter. So don't at me. I know that's not actually what it's called. Uh, no, it, uh, but I, even I remember we uh, we were in the airport and the, everywhere instead of saying bathroom or restroom, it said washroom. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in heaven. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Wow. So. Anyway, uh, we'll get back to... So not to call this little girl dramatic or anything, but... <laughs> but I also, like, 
kiss the feet of every Can- Canadian that walked by me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll get back to my own reincarnation at some point, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so she said, these are my people. Definitely what I did in Canada. Um, <laughs> and at one point in this museum, she re- apparently recited words that seemed to be from another language. Oh, like she just started like talking to like the artifacts, but with a different language. And she even found a picture that uh, showed the ruins of the temple of Seti the first. And um, she apparently said that's where she used to live. She <laughs> said, because remember, she was saying, I want to go home. Right. She found this picture of the ruins of the temple. And she said, this is where I used to live. But wait, <laughs> why is it all broken? And where's the garden? <gasps> Oh shit! I just got chills. So she's this. This reminds me of that one story of like the little kid who, in a past life, died on the Titanic, and he <gasps> yes. saw he saw blueprints of like the ship, or he was watching the he was movie watching the movie, went, yeah. And he was like, "Oh, that didn't go over there. The boilers were like over here, and also that wasn't my room." Yeah, like, he, like he's like the windows didn't face that way or whatever. Like, ooh, spooky. So then she saw a picture. So since they were near the temple of Seti the First, she saw a picture of the mummy of Seti the First, who was a late 13th century um, BC, by the way, late 13th century uh, pharaoh. And she claimed that she knew him personally and said that he was a very kind man. Oh. And uh, so she starts to go to the museum as often as possible and learn as much as she can. And her interest in anything Egyptian starts, uh, like, growing and growing. And eventually she catches uh, the attention of a guy named Wallace Budge. <laughs> and I know. Sorry, Wallace. <laughs> Sorry, Wally. And it's so, better than um, Walter. I, the, the Walters have died down since, uh, since that one episode, I think. Well, technically, Walter and Wallace could both be called Wally. No, this is true. They have the same nickname. Yeah, so we gotta be careful on that. They could be trying to trick us. So uh, Wally Budge, as I'm gonna call him from now on. Love it. uh, So he was known at the time, back in the early 1900s, he was like the guru, the expert on Egyptology. Like he was the one, if you wanted to. He's like how Carl Sagan is known for his field. Wally Budge was known for his field of Egyptology. Cool. And so he was at the museum one day and started noticing her whenever he went to visit and um, so he even offered to tutor her in hieroglyphics. Cool. And she was only like 14, but she he was like, there's something wild about her. Like, we got to we got to tutor her and get her involved. So he noticed how quickly she was on to learning the hieroglyphics. And Dorothy uh, at one point reportedly told him that she wasn't learning it. She was just remembering it from before. <gasps> oh, my God. That's so spooky. Yeah. And so. Uh, within two years, she was able to read hieroglyphics perfectly, like as well as he could, and that usually takes most people like much more than a decade. Like she just. So then, holy shit! Uh, she uh, later on in life, she ends up moving away um, to be with her grandmother, but she continues to study um, Egyptology, and she claims at 15 years old that she starts being visited by Pharaoh the Seti, uh, Pharaoh. Seti the first who is who she saw the picture of and was a very kind man so she said that she used to know him and now he's visiting her in her dreams oh god and pharaoh Seti uh has is give is showing up more and more in her dreams until basically he's in every single one of her dreams and telling her about 
what her life was like in ancient Egypt. (gasps) And with her memories, by the way, also came nightmares and sleepwalking. And her her parents even put her in like like a mental hospital a few times because she was getting so wrapped up in this. They didn't. I guess it was too much for them, which I don't necessarily blame them. Sure. Um, But so a couple years later, um, her parents were still kind of supportive about all this regardless because they like just knew that she was really interested in this stuff. And so um, they are still funding her either, you know, going to school or trying to learn as much as she can. And eventually they help her move back to London in 1931, where she works as a writer and a cartoonist um, at an Egyptian English magazine. Um, And so she actually started uh, not being well liked there either, because in all of her cartoons, she was was very clear that she was supportive of Egypt being independent from uh, the British, which it was still occupied at the time. Got it. Um, and while there, she meets an Egyptian student named uh, Imam Abdel Magid. And so I'm just going to call him Magid, his last name. And <clears throat> so they started dating. And even when he uh, even when he moves back to Egypt, they still have a romantic relationship. And eventually, um, a couple years later, Magid becomes a teacher and proposes despite her parents' approval. She's like, I'm going to marry this guy. He's Egyptian, and I'm moving to Egypt with him. And this wait, their approval or their disapproval? Uh, despite their disapproval, sorry. Got it, got it, got it. They were like, "We don't want you to leave the country," and she was like, "It's fucking." I see. She was like, "It's fucking Egypt. I'm going." She's like, "It's my home." <laughs> yeah. She's like, "Do you not know what my plan? Have you been? figured this out? Yeah." <laughs> and so, uh, when she again, when she got there, she kissed the ground and said, "I'm finally home." Wow. Um. They got married and lived with his family. And um, throughout this entire time, she continued being visited by Pharaoh Seti. And he kept showing up in her dreams. Apparently, at one point, he almost started manifesting himself because some of Magid's family swear that they saw <gasps> Pharaoh Seti in their bedroom while she was sleeping. As if he Holy really shit. as if he really was there and like manipulating her dreams. Oh wow. But regardless, so she ends up uh I'm going to get into like what she learned about her, uh, her childhood or, or in her past life in a second. But so she's living in Egypt with her husband and his family. They end up having a baby. She literally names the baby Seti after the Pharaoh <gasps> a- against her husband's wishes. She's like, Oh no. He's like, no, no, no. This is what's got to happen. <laughs> so Dorothy not only is now being visited by the Pharaoh in her sleep, but she's also being visited by an Egyptian spirit named Hora. So H O R dash R A Hora. Okay. Um, and that's when she also begins going into trances at night and automatic writing. Oh, so basically she's kind of half awake, half asleep, but she's essentially by accident writing out dream journals about what she's being told by Hora. Whoa. And she's, writing them in hieroglyphics whoa whoa (laughs) and so she was this is what she found out about her past based on all the dreams that she had had so in a nutshell she was born in the 13th century um her dad was a soldier and her mom was a vegetable seller her name was bentrashite or bentrashit i'm not sure which one um but it means harp of joy Okay. Um, and at three years old, which is interesting. So this is when something kind of 
traumatic happens to her in her past life at three, but at three years old in this life, that's when she had the head injury and all of a sudden started <gasps> acting weird. Interesting. So at three in her past life, uh, her mother died and she and her father couldn't afford to keep feeding her. And so sent her to the temple of later, what would be the temple of Seti. And she was raised as a priestess and became a consecrated virgin at 12. Whoa. Yeah. And apparently at some point, um, I think at 14 years old, Pharaoh Seti uh, showed up or was visiting the temple and met her and they fell in love and uh, she got pregnant, even though she's supposed to <gasps> abstain from that. Uh Oh, and at this point, so I saw this on one article. I thought it was very interesting. So she wasn't allowed to be sleeping with anyone but they, you know, quote, ate the forbidden fruit. But apparently it, the ancient Egyptian version of that quote is eating the, quote, uncooked goose. Oh, wow. So I, I saw that in an article and I was like, they ate uncooked goose? What the hell? But apparently <laughs> oh my God. they were doing what they shouldn't be doing. So We don't know all the cool euphemisms. I mean, <laughs> it goes with like goose cam, though, you know. They cooked the uncooked goose cam. Yes. That we have some uncooked goose cam going on That's over here, you know? The truth. And so, <laughs> um, so yeah, so they were sleeping together and she got pregnant. And uh, the high priest asked her, Who got you pregnant? And she didn't want to say because it was a pharaoh and she didn't want to get in trouble um, and she didn't want to embarrass him. And so the high priest apparently said, Well, the penalty for this is probably death. Um, oh, shit. Just if people find out about this, that'll probably be your punishment. And so, to avoid that, well, to avoid being killed and to avoid um, any embarrassment for Pharaoh Seti, she died by suicide. <gasps> oh, no. But apparently in her dreams, she learned that uh, he did remain in love with her. And eventually in between different incarnations, their spirit had their spirits had met back up together. Wow. So that's pretty precious that they it found is. each other later. Um, so... Again, Dorothy kept dream journals um, in, written in hieroglyphics, and ultimately she had 70 pages of her story all written in ancient Egyptian. Jesus. So in 1935, so she's 31 now, um, her husband takes a preaching, or not a preaching, a teaching position in Iraq, and so they end up separating. Um, now that she's on her own, she decides that she's going to move closer to the uh, Giza pyramids. And she's with her son, Seti. Mm -hmm. And at this point, this is where she gets her name, Om Seti, which apparently means mother of Seti. Oh. So this is because in some of the regional traditions, the parents will take the name of their eldest son. So it's like mother of or father of. And so she became mother of Seti. I see. Okay. So Om Seti. So while um, at the pyramids, she actually meets an archaeologist um, who his name was Salim Hassan. And I think he was actually like one of the most famous archeologists of the time. And he ended up meeting her and realizing how knowledgeable she was and what a resource she was. And so he was one of the first people to credit her with having like invaluable advice during his research there. Oh, And from there she gained this reputation and she was later hired as a research assistant by an archeologist named Ahmed, Fakri, and apparently he was also another one of like the top archaeologists of the time. So she, in the archaeology world in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, 
she is a woman with no educational background and all these people are relying on her for their like most prized esteemed research right so during these years she also was like taking that and like using her privilege of like people were going to kind of look out for her because she was so resourceful and so needed that she kind of took advantage of it and so she would like sleep inside the pyramids and like oh she would like perform strange rituals and she would like she would do weird things that nobody's really allowed to do but because she was so well respected by her colleagues they were just like oh just go do it like they didn't really judge her or holy shit they didn't question her or tell her she couldn't Um, also they were probably like we can't stop her so (laughs) she'll do it anyway she also got a reputation for I guess not just having remembered the language or like knowing random information that she really should never have had the, the resources to learn about, but she inherently happened to gain this um, interpretation of inherently having these skills that nobody could have taught her. And like, she could have never learned given her circumstances. So she got to be well known in the city as being unafraid of cobras and she could spellbind and hand feed them. Oh my God. With no training, but she said it just came from within that she just knew what to do. Oh, my God. She also had really powerful medicinal abilities where she could heal herself as well as others pretty much of anything. And some of them included arthritis, appendicitis, and she healed herself into not needing to wear glasses anymore. Whoa. So apparently she was best known to cure impotency. Oh, And she said that this is a quote, but she was able to cure people of this quote through what she had through what she said were spells written in ancient texts that nobody could have taught her. Oh my gosh. She was just reading like ancient Egyptian and so well that nobody else could have taught it to her because nobody else knows how to read it that well. And she was realizing there was like spells and incantations that were helping her medicinally. What the fuck? What is going on with this woman? So this she is en- like bonkers. <laughs> she ends up becoming the first woman um, to work for Egypt's Department of Antiquities. Okay. She works there from 1936 to uh, 1964. She becomes known as a master of deciphering hieroglyphics and ancient art. So both of those things experts were coming to her for. Um, and she starts assisting two of the world's foremost egyptologists at the time and she's known to help translate works edit books or even like give some sort of source material that they could have never found anywhere else and i mean it's crazy to me that at the time like these well-respected incredibly educated people who put their life into learning all this they're going to someone with no formal education and just and just trusting her blind and they're just like she knows like and there's there was never a doubt it's so wild to me that so many people not maybe not necessarily put two and two together that she was you know living out a past life but she was just so apparently confident and a lot of people have been quoted saying that she was just so sincere and genuinely wanted to help that they just took everything she said at face value because she had nothing to lose so so even to a point where in 1964 uh, or 19, 1950 uh, the late 1950s, early 1960s. I don't remember. Um, but her job was actually, um, she was going to have to retire based on her age. And then they like found a loophole and let her keep working for another five years. Cause they were like, you're too, you're too needed. You're, you're too essential oh, for geez. to like, walk away. 
So they even like gave her a job until she was in her seventies. And then eventually her, um, her job was terminated. Just the job ended itself. And so she had to, she took a position later as a, uh, she, she worked in a town called Abydos, Abydos. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it was where Pharaoh's, pharaoh seti the first temple was oh she ended up working um at the place where she used to see all these pictures when she was a little kid saying like i used to live there and so over time she's slowly moving closer and closer to this space that she says used to be her home right and this is just from her previous job before i get into the one i'm talking about now but the one where she was allowed to work there until her 70s the um just before i forget the head archaeologist there um like knew that she knew a lot of information and knew that it was weird how much information she knew and kind of was believing this past life theory that was kind of circulating throughout the city and um so he decided one day that he was going to take her to a closed off part of the temple where nobody but him had been so far and it was just super dark you couldn't see anything it was just a dark section of the temple and there was nothing there anymore yeah and he asked her to describe the artwork on the walls if it were to exist what did it look like (gasps) and so she did so and she did it so perfectly that she even included details that hadn't been discovered (gasps) yet and wouldn't be discovered for many more years oh my god and then as they're walking through this part of the temple she starts leading them to this location Um, At the back of the tunnel. And remember, even as a little kid, she was saying, but wait, where are the gardens? Like that was where. Yes. So she starts walking to the back of this temple and she keeps saying, oh, this is where the gardens are supposed to be. Where are the gardens? I don't know where they are. And again, besides her stories, there is no evidence of gardens ever existing there. Like in no research and no excavations, there's no such thing as a garden that ever existed. Oh my God. But trusting her, the team ended up digging out that area and eventually they located stumps from where massive trees (gasps) used to be and there were signs of gardening. Oh my God. And she's like, there it is. She was like, bingo. (laughs) Finally. So uh so then yeah so then she was required to uh to leave but then they gave her five more years and then um after this she uh lives near the temple of seti like i said in that town abydos abydos and um even though she's retired and in her 70s and just living closer to the temple i guess that's where a lot of archaeologists were going to be anyway and so they started seeking her out um for like on call work like just to get advice from her just to ask her like what she knew if they could help on her excavations damn so in 1981 uh she unfortunately dies uh but due to her beliefs neither like christian or muslim cemeteries would let her be buried on their sites (gasps) because it was so controversial so she right buried outside of one of the cemeteries and there's like a stone circle that marks her site um but she still known by historians to be unrivaled in her knowledge of hieroglyphics and just ancient Egypt in general. And unlike most folks who say that they're reincarnated from, you know, any given time, she was so well respected that even if they didn't really believe if she was, it was a past life thing, they like couldn't do anything but defend her. And even some of the like top researchers in their field all say that like she contributed to their research paper. She's the reason why their books sold the way what? they did. And so she even appeared in two telecommentaries. Um, one was for BBC and one was for National Geographic. One was called Om Seti, Holy shit. Uh, Om Seti and Her Egypt. 
And another one was called Egypt Quest for Eternity. And she was in both of those right before she died. Some speculate that her fall as a child may have resulted in brain damage. And this just led to a bunch of like weird obsessions with Egypt. Mm. But, but at the same time, like there's scholars who like, there's no explanation. And they insist that her knowledge was not only like impossible for anyone to have figured out, but she was right every single time every single time she made a prediction or she helped someone out and like just guessed that something would be there yeah she was never wrong so that's been i mean the fact that all of these like top researchers and scientists are saying like oh yeah no she's helping a lot is like enough proof to me of like she's something's going on yeah i mean for all the people who like should know this better than anyone to be like i don't fucking know um seti what's your opinion and then they're just like well whatever she says goes oh and, my uh, god there's even a quote from one of them saying if um seti were still here today i would take her word for where i would take her word on where things are um any day over the most state-of-the-art equipment even made today so wow. they're just like if she says it's somewhere if she says that there's something here, then there is. And if she says there isn't something here, then there isn't. Wow. So there's there's one uh, theory on what type of reincarnation this is, because apparently there's different types. So there's a reincarnation researcher named James Matlock, who says that this is a case of, quote, replacement reincarnation when a person briefly dies, which is what happened to her. Right. And when she, when waking up, ends up having different memories and behaviors as if a as if almost she was an empty vessel and all of her lives uh that are a part of her a new one just kind of latched on and a new personality took over so it's which is an interesting thought of like oh it's just like this empty chamber and all of your memories like which one's gonna go in and like take over and the fact that they can just be kind of like jostled out of you by a head yeah like a head injury (laughs) is wild to me (laughs) oh my god Um, so apparently there's three traits of replacement reincarnation and she hit all of them so there is a suggested terminal condition that is reversed so yeah she was claimed to be dead and then she woke up right then there's a change in personality and then a sense of belonging elsewhere that never fades so what's interesting about replacement um reincarnation is that Usually when you hear about past lives, they're toddlers who it's almost like they haven't totally stepped out of that past life yet. Right, right. And it slowly fades as this life takes over. But in replacement cases, it's usually after a few years that someone's been alive. And because it's kind of knocked into them fresh, uh, like since it's like disturbing or disrupting this current life. Right. Those memories tend to persist instead of fade away like in most cases. Holy shit. The fact that that's the craziest thing, too, is like they, they just were still there after decades for her whole life. Which makes me wonder, too. It's like all of us probably somewhere in our sub psyche have. Yes. Assuming that reincarnation exists, which I believe it does. Me, too. But given that that is a real thing, it means that those memories really are inside of me and I just can't tap into that. But maybe if like you just clock me in the head really good, I'll remember it way better, you know? <laughs> Okay, I'm coming over. I'll put on my mask and I'll uh, bring something heavy. I'll bring that uh, skull bowling ball my oh, aunt gave me for my wedding. That's exactly how I'd want it to happen anyway. So 
perfect. I know. I figured. So in 1979, there was a New York Times article about her that called her, quote, one of the Western world's most intriguing and convincing modern case histories of reincarnation. Wow. And what's wild this is she died back in the 80s, but... As recently as 2015, archaeologists are still finding ruins and tombs that she predicted before her death. Wow. So there's still, someone just must have taken really notes when she was alive and wrote down all the shit she said because they're still listening to anything that she, that she suggested. So when she was alive back in the 70s, she remembered knowing the secret location of the tomb of Nefertiti. Nefertiti? Nefertiti. Nefertiti. Sorry, I, this is not my like field of interest. Oh, it's not. So I'm, I'm well. Just wait. Just wait till <laughs> I whack you on the head. Then you can tell the story again. Who knows? Maybe I was Nefertiti. You probably were. It sounds right to me. It feels right. So it feels right. So in the seventies, she remembers, or she told people that she remembered from her past life the secret location of Nefertiti's tomb, which apparently at that point everyone was looking for and nobody was able to find. Oh. But she was like, I know where it is, but it's a secret location. And I know that the Pharaoh wouldn't want me to tell you. But and like people <laughs> like, I know something you don't know. People are listening to her. They're like, oh, the Pharaoh. Oh, I understand. But like also the Pharaoh was around 3000 years ago. Can you just tell me where this fucking tomb is? Right, right. Yeah, the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh. We get it. Right. <laughs> and we get it. You knew a Pharaoh. We get it. You're not that special. Um, <laughs> so she... Um, she ended up saying later that it was in the Valley of Kings near, I'm sorry, Tutankhamun's tomb. There's a place. Yeah, Tutankhamun. Is that King a- Tut. Oh, is that King Tut? Yeah. Is that, is that his long name? Yeah, Tutankhamun. Look, I'm just, you know what? You ask me about any Marvel character, okay. I'll tell you the full fucking name. I listen. So- <laughs> the only reason I know, I like you said, is because I've had a lifelong fascination with Egypt. So I've been to every museum exhibit in Cincinnati that has ever had anything pertaining. I know about. Um, I've heard of King Tut. I did not know that his, that Tut was a nickname for a longer version. I feel so. Yes. I was blind, but now I'm found. So. Um, oh, welcome. So she uh, she later told people the secret location was near King Tut's tomb, um, which at the time went against all common knowledge. They were like, that can't be possible. Like she, oh. even if she knows she's like giving us like this red herring, like there's like, that's not where the tomb is. So later in the year 2000, so like 30 years later and 20 after she's died, they did a radar scan of the site and it, they ended up finding evidence of two unknown chambers that were even deeper underground of King mm. Tut's tomb. Wow. And I guess there was some like just happenstance where they had to quit that excavation. But six years later, they came back to it. And in 2006, there were chambers that were found underground that were, quote, extremely that they had, quote, extremely well preserved equipment and supplies used for the mummification of elite royals, such as Nefertiti. Wow. So. It's understood that that's probably Nefertiti's uh, tomb, and it's pretty understood amongst the the I don't know the the top researchers even today that she was right, and that's where it was. Wow! I mean, that's just fascinating to me. Fascinating. So, I anyway. So that's that's the story of Dorothy Edie slash Om Seti. But I I heard that like. I saw a blurb of it on like Wikipedia or something. And I was like, 
if Christine uh, doesn't hear this story, uh, yes, she's going to lose it. It's so funny because I was just thinking like this is exactly what we became friends over because Em would come over and this is the shit we would talk about for hours. Like, did you hear about that one lady <laughs> who thought – and like we would just go for hours and hours and hours. So I cannot believe we're literally sitting here still three years later like doing this for a job. It's just the coolest thing. I mean, truly. And also, this is absolutely someone that I would have mentioned in the past and then you would have gotten obsessed with her. So – Oh, for sure. So I'm for sure. Yeah, I can't believe I've never heard about this. I mean, I already wrote the name down. So I'm ready for some late night research tonight. Um, Just some some deep dives. But yeah, wow, that's so cool. And she is in those two documentaries. And I think they have like, I mean, she also published a lot of her own personal work. And she, I think was part of a lot of interviews or like maybe like TV things. She was only really mentioned in the two documentaries. But I think she was filmed in other things. Uh, so what you're saying is there's a lot of content I can play Animal Crossing to while I watch it. Got it. I mean, that's actually literally what I'm saying. Though, I like, cannot you, wait. <laughs> if you were looking for a rabbit hole, here's one for you. <laughs> I'm always looking for a rabbit hole and you always deliver. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Anyway. I love it. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. There are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get started today and get after your goals. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required and it's less expensive than takeout. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is a perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. I found myself recently recommending Factor to so many people in my life and this food is really good. So Blaze and I actually get to pick our own meals every week and, you know, separate them in the little drawer in the fridge and, uh, Uh, make sure the other keeps their hands off. I personally love the cold brew smoothies. Those are always my go-to in the morning if I'm running around dropping Leona off, don't have time to cook myself breakfast. It's a great solution. Head to factormeals.com slash drink50 and use code drink50 to get 50% off. That's code drink50 at factormeals.com slash drink50 to get 50% off. Awesome. I guess now it's my turn to bring everything crashing to a sad, sad halt. That is what I love to hear. Yay! Okay, glad I have one strength and it's making everyone feel like crap. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love it. It makes me so happy. (laughs) At least you feel better. You at least say it with such a joyful a voice. I mean, it, it comes yeah. off very chipper. I know if if someone had to deliver bad news to me, I would want it to be you because at least you do it with like a little warmth, you know. 
Yeah, I try. You know, I try desperately to make you guys not hate me. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good practice. at it. <laughs> it's a lot of practice. Um, okay. Well, that being said, I have a story for you. It's one I've wanted to, Emma, I'm curious if you've heard of it. I've wanted to cover it for a long time. It's like really bizarre and also extremely frustrating. So it's like just, it was a lot, but um, this is the death of Mitrice Richardson. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Wait, say it again? My, the death of who? Mytrice Richardson. I don't think so. I'm going to feel like a fool if I should know this one. No, but no, I- no. I, I don't think necessarily. I mean, I'm just in the right internet circles to know these things. I um, see. Is this a Virginia thing? No, no. It's an LA story. Um, oh, no. I don't know who this is. Okay. So it's it's really, I mean, it's fascinating, bizarre, fucked up, and like frustrating. You'll see why. So, uh as we say, white knuckle and buckle, folks. Buckle up, white knuckle it. Knuckle, Let's knuckle and buckle. We're trying to make it a thing, still not a thing, but we are determined. You know what? If we're the only people who say it, then at least two people say it. That's so, right. You know? <laughs> and if we say it for the next five years, then it's been a thing for five whole half a decade. So, yeah, and everyone else is like on the fringe for not wanting to join. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so this is the story of Mytrice Richardson. I'm just going to jump into it. So she was born April 30th, 1985 in South Los Angeles, California, to Latisse Sutton and Michael Richardson. But she was primarily raised by her mother, Latisse, and her stepfather okay. in Covina, California. So that's where she grew up. Okay. Um, she went to West Covina High School. She was uh, a really good student. She was a competitive cheerleader and dancer. Uh, she was like described by her mother as a girly girl. She wasn't like really into outdoor activities. Um, she loved like being in pageants and that kind of thing and dance competitions. And so that was kind of her childhood growing up. And then in around 2005, 2006, um, my Therese had been had spent a few years kind of like evaluating her sexuality. And in 2006, she came out to her family as gay. Mm. And uh, they said in the show, I mean, sorry, I watched this. I watched an episode on investigation discovery uh disappeared and if anyone wants to watch it it's called lost in the dark season six episode one okay and um her family's interviewed extensively in that but they said basically you know she had been worried that her family wouldn't accept it but like they just wholeheartedly embraced her and it and like her sexuality and did not it didn't change a thing between them so oh good um they just seemed like a very like close-knit um stable family And so she was described by friends as even though she was kind of in like pageants and that kind of thing, she's also extremely intelligent and talented. Um, In 2007, she began a relationship with a woman named Tessa Moon and they would date for a couple years. And in 2008, uh, she graduated from California State University Fullerton with a bachelor in psychology she moved in with her great grandmother Mildred um, in, into an LA South LA neighborhood, and basically what she did, the, her great grandmother was ninety one, and she kind of moved in to keep her company, be her companion, also help her with you know daily tasks, that kind of thing. Um, and she actually started doing clerical work at Santa Fe Springs Shipping, which was owned by her girlfriend's uh, father. Okay. And at this point, she's living with her great grandma. She's working, and she decides she wants to go to graduate school. Okay. And so her goal was to go to graduate school and get a PhD in child psychology. Again, she was like very bright, uh, graduated with honors, et cetera. And uh, meanwhile, she also worked as a go-go dancer with the stage name Hazel at a popular gay and lesbian nightclub in Long Beach, California. Okay. So that was 
kind of her like social outlet was typically there at this nightclub. Gotcha. Um, so this guy, this investigative journalist named Mike Kessler, uh, who wrote writes for Los Angeles Magazine, he was actually interviewed in the episode and he wrote a really extensive piece on this um, in LA Magazine that's super interesting and in-depth. Um, so according to Mike Kessler, Maitree Santeza had broken up in the early summer of 2009 after about two years of dating. Mm-hmm. And the reason was that Maitree had become infatuated with a woman from Long Beach named Vanessa. Okay. And Vanessa was a regular at the club where she danced. Uh, and unfortunately, Vanessa did not feel the same way toward Maitreese. So this was like an unrequited love situation. Gotcha. And she's still also with her girlfriend or did they break up? So they broke up because – so sorry. So they broke up in 2009 after okay. two years of dating because – uh, Maitreese had gotten so infatuated with this other woman. I see. Basically. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that's kind of what broke them up. Um, so Vanessa actually had a girlfriend, and unfortunately, that only made Maitreese more determined to win her over to the point she became obsessed. And uh, one night after her go go job, Maitreese drove all the way to Las Vegas by herself to uh, basically crash Vanessa's birthday celebration. Ooh. Uh, and by the way good. just so people know too like because we did that drive for your bachelor yep. party that's like a five to six hour drive um, yeah it's 11 if there's a if there's fire on the highway which there was for me um but yes. yeah typically it's like four to six hours yeah on a, on a good day like on if you were driving with me that day it would have been that much <laughs> yeah if we had left at the appropriate time we might have missed that gigantic fire but yeah. Uh, so basically, she, so she really committed to making this drive and like going to see this person who does not care about her. Exactly. And halfway through the drive, two hours in, she didn't think, you know what, maybe I should turn around. She went all the way there. And gotcha. yeah, became she kind of crashed her birthday party and to the point that Vanessa had to tell her she needed to stay away, especially because mm-hmm. Vanessa had a girlfriend and was like, this is too far. So According to Kessler, who wrote that article, Vanessa had found Maitreese's behavior, like, increasingly bizarre and just, it was like, you need to get out of my life, essentially. Like, you're being creepy. This is too much. You're obsessed. Yada, yada. So, uh, by August 2009, so later that year, basically that fall, Maitreese had become a regular guest model at the Playboy Mansion's Hot Summer Nights parties. Mm. So, it's kind of funny. She was, like, basically, like, the all-around package like she was a model and then also like getting her phd like she just seemed like a (laughs) fucking shining star of a person um and her friend so that that fall she's she's doing a lot of this like uh stuff on the side um getting ready for graduate school and at this point her friends and family kind of realized that she Hadn't been talking on the phone with them as much. She'd become kind of distant. Okay. And uh, she also started to, when she did contact them, she sent really weird messages. Hmm. Um, so, for example, she she sent some, quote unquote, peculiar texts to her mother. Um, and her mother would often respond saying, like, do you need help? Do you want to talk? What's wrong? Call me. And um, I have a couple examples of the texts that she would send. Okay. And uh, one of them said, I feel joy, mommy. Not everyone has to die to live. I heard in the Bible, Jesus dies so we can live forever. Now I have to prove the unlogic. What? Just like 
kind of jumbled, like nonsensical things like that. That sounds like someone's sleep talking or, right. you know, it, it's just like very strange. And she would send these to her mom who, you know, was like slightly getting concerned. Uh, and then based on, so she also posted a lot on MySpace and Facebook. Um, and she posted these long rambling kind of blog like entries and based on the amount that she was posting, uh, they could tell she was rarely sleeping. So she would write all night and then like start texting people. Oh, based on like timestamps and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it, it like when they went through like the days in a row, like it just they were like there was no time for her to even be sleeping at any point. Like she was just constantly posting, constantly texting these like strange rambling writing in her journal, like just constant um, based on timestamps, like you said. Okay. Uh, and so one of the examples of one of the posts on MySpace, just to give you an idea of how weird and random they were, said, have you ever woke up at 7am crying on a Saturday? Because now that you see the light, you see all the people lost in the dark. Welcome what? to my reality. What? Yeah. And they oh. just get weirder. Like they, there's nothing. It's just kind of babbling. It's almost like this grandiose, like, mm. I understand the world, but like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um weird okay yeah it gets kind of creepy it's it verges on that like unsettling territory of like something's off it's It's like how safe am i allowed to feel in this (laughs) yeah exactly it's like really unsettling um so september 15th 2009 right around when her family's kind of learning like learning this weird behavior um my goes to her aunt's house who lives in town and she you know, her name was Hazel at this as she was a dancer at this um, club. Mm-hmm. And she had these like da- business cards that said Hazel on them. She went to her aunt's house and just dozens of these cards she like put in the bushes. She put like all over what? the front porch. I know uh, like on her aunt's stoop and her aunt was like, what am I supposed to do with your bit? Like your business cards and thank put them you. In- like <laughs> where does this I go know, thank you hazel <laughs> yeah and she wandered around and just stuck them all over in the mailbox on the floor under the doormat like everywhere around the yard and uh just super strange and then before leaving she wrote a note to her uncle that she put uh on, on his windshield like under the windshield wiper okay. and it had like a big smiley face and some like incoherent jumbled writing and then she like kissed it with lipstick and like stuck it under the uh the thing and just so strange oh my gosh she yeah and her seem like she has a grip on reality yes exactly and her family was like what is going on but these seem to be like so sudden onset and like so sporadic that they were like is she okay like is she just in a weird place like mentally nobody kind of knew what was going on and all happened so fast um, then on September 16, 2009, uh, Maitreese, so she and her grandmother or her great grandmother used to uh, have dinner pretty much every night. And anytime that Maitreese had plans, she would let her know in advance. So Maitreese said to her great grandma, hey, I'm not going to be able to make dinner tonight because I have plans. Mm-hmm. So her great grandma's like, OK, have fun. Sure. And Maitreese gets into her 98 Honda Civic, which um, I drove a 98 Honda Civic for many moons. RIP. I <laughs> loved that car. Uh, and she drove the 40 miles north to Malibu, California. So from South LA up to Malibu. Okay. Um, and again, 40 miles in Los Angeles is a very 
freaking long drive, by you're, the way. If you're driving for 40 miles, you're going to be in that car for at least three hours. That's a long yes. time. And you better have a good reason why you're going because coming back is going to be a pain in the rear. Yeah. Um. So she drives up to Malibu. Some people think – so she had an interest in Pepperdine at this point because she was, you know, oh, looking yeah, into yeah. graduate school. So some people thought, oh, maybe she was going to visit Pepperdine and see the campus. Um, but otherwise, there's truly no reason she didn't know anyone up there. So there's no other really clear explanation as to why she would go up there. Um, but so she drives up to Malibu that evening, the night that she told her great-grandmother she had plans. And um, she after so it's after sunset at this point. Um, it's September 16th in the evening. She pulls her Honda into the parking lot of Joffrey's, which is like a really famous classic upscale restaurant um, off the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. That's like upscale and well known. OK. And uh, I've never been swank- for obvious swanky town. Yeah, it's a swanky restaurant. It's 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 very Malibu. I've definitely not been there for obvious reasons. Um, but <laughs> I have for obvious reasons. Yeah, so. exactly. I just drive M there and wait outside. <laughs> and you're uh, Honda Civic. Ew. In my Honda, Honda Civic. Uh, I know because I was looking at this. I was like, well, in 2009, like a 98 Honda Civic is not so bad. But I drove mine like last year. So that was a much, <laughs> much different uh, view of a Honda Civic. So let's see. He She pulls her car into the parking lot and the valet says, okay, it's valet parking only. So he's like, I'll be right back. I'll take care of you when I get back. He goes to park someone's car. And when he gets back, he finds my trees sitting in his car. <gasps> oh, no. And instead of her own. And she is rifling through his CD collection. Okay. And he's like, what are you doing? And she responds, it's subliminal. Ew. I know. It gives you goose cam, right? It's so freaky. It's subliminal. You know what it reminds me of is the Briceless Pizza story where, like, the events leading up to it are so strange and inexplicable. Right. And, like, you can't fully fathom, like, you know, right? The He was a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guy in the car. And he was... Yes, exactly. I mean, she could have also, to be fair, just been reciting lyrics from like Faith Hill's "This Kiss." So, like, <laughs> maybe she, she saw that. Well, she was she, going through his CD collection. She was just looking for her copy of it. Obviously, she's like, "Man, I lo- I broke mine. It's stuck in the v- in the t- in the CD player. I need to I need to hear that song." It's subliminal. Come on, like, when you, obviously, this is now making sense. Em, you're on the case. Finally, she, she's just a, a closeted country fan. That's okay. I mean, it makes sense. She came out as gay and they were like, you're so brave. And then she came out as a country <laughs> fan. They were like, get away. How dare you are not you're part like, of this family. You're really, you're really tipping the limits over here. Yeah, you're pushing it here. <laughs> uh, that's not a lifestyle we support in this family. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. So, yes, she says it's subliminal. And then she says, I'm here to avenge the death of Michael Jackson. Okay, well. That one we can't necessarily explain. Is that a Faith Hill lyric, though? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't. Maybe I will have to check back on my on my discography. Yeah, check the B side album. It might be like a B side track. I just have to flip the cassette. I've just never done that before. See, that's that's the that's probably what it is. Um, Children are like, what is happening? <laughs> the B side. Yeah, flip the track. Um, so she's yeah so she decides she says uh i'm here to avenge michael jackson's death and he's like um okay and uh you know she (laughs) she like literally doesn't know what to do she's sitting in his car but she seems friendly 
And so she gets out. She gives him uh, her keys. And she says, is Vanessa here? Goodbye. Do you remember Vanessa? <laughs> yeah. And Vanessa, you mean Las Vegas girl? Yes, exactly. So he's. she says, is Vanessa here? And he, like, doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, he has no idea who that is. And then she says, well, look out for a girl with tatted arms. I guess presumably that was Vanessa. I'm not sure. But she said, look, take, keep a lookout for a a woman with tatted arms. So the valet helps my Therese into the restaurant and he tells the hostess that my Therese is quote, pretty weird. Uh, (laughs) And basically says like, why don't you keep an eye on this one? Like she seems a little bit like struggling with something. Um, So my Therese sits down. She's in a great mood. She orders an ocean breeze cocktail uh, which I love personally. I actually had one last night uh, before even realizing that the, co- the connection to the story. <laughs> you were just, you were sinking in really well. I must have just been, yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to know, it's uh, cranberry, pineapple, and grapefruit with vodka. Very good. Very That sounds tasty without it's vodka. It's really, right. Yes, it's good without. Um, I mean, my stepmom used to call it a Bahama mama, but. Uh, oh, is that, are they the same thing? They're really similar. I think uh, without the, cranberry or wait grapefruit cranberry one of the juices out of it is a bahama mama but i see it's a a bahama mama with a little extra something something with a little breeze a little ocean breeze with a little bahama papa maybe oh oh, shit talk about b-side flipping the track a little bahama mama and her drunk sister so (laughs) oh no oh boy um so anyway she orders a an ocean breeze cocktail and a Kobe beef steak. Um, and she is sitting by herself eating. And then she notices this fun crowd at a nearby table. It's like a big group of people. And so she walks over and she says, can I join you? And they're like, um, I guess. Okay. And she kind of just inserts herself into the conversation. Great. Yeah. My worst nightmare, by the way. Social I'm just like, yeah. I'm like terrified of this kind of an inter- interaction. <laughs> But so she starts, she seems friendly. Um, She starts talking about astrological signs, but in this way that doesn't really make sense. Like it's, they can't follow, you know, what she's saying. Sure. Um, A couple servers come over to be like, hey, is everything okay? Because clearly they're watching this and they're like, she did not come with them. You know, we want to make sure this table of people is not like super uncomfortable. So poor valet who is like, I might as well have just kept her in that goddamn car. I know. (laughs) Like just tell her you've avenged Michael Jackson's death. No worries. (laughs) You did it. You did it. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So they're all kind of the servers and wait staff are all kind of like on edge, you know, but she seems really friendly. And when they asked uh, the table, like, is everything okay? One of the guys says, you know, it's bizarre, but manageable. And they seemed like relatively amused because she was just like fun and flirty and friendly and they were like all right you know uh so eventually she went back to her own table but she kept returning to their table um to like insert herself and say more things that didn't make sense um she told them she was from mars they asked where she was from she's like i'm from mars with like no hint of irony or joking you know okay well it's time to go (laughs) Yeah, at this point, I'm like, uh-oh. If, uh, if I had a feeling, if someone, like, plopped themselves down into, like, my space with my friends and all of a sudden, like, was at least being friendly, I'd be like, okay, like, this is 50% really creepy. And then the second that they said they were, like, at Mars, I'd be like, well, time to go back to my home of Jupiter because I need to be yeah, far, yeah, yeah. far away. 
Yeah, that's when I'm like, I don't know. The the conversation has spun out of my control. Yeah. I don't really know don't how know. to continue. I like to pride myself in being able to bring things back usually, but I don't, yes, yes. I don't know what to do with The banter. <laughs> we can't banter with that kind of right. a conversation. Um <laughs> So she kept kind of doing that and and like they were they started to get nervous and they told the servers like, hey, you know, obviously something's going on here. Like I would keep an eye on it. Um, But she seems she's not, you know, aggressive or anything. She just is kind of out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, So eventually the table leaves. They pay their bill and leave. And um, Maitrice, uh finishes her meal as well. And she heads for the door. But as she's walking out, the manager blocks her from exiting and says, hey, you you haven't paid your bill mm. and the bill was $89.51 and at first she's like oh the other table should have paid and they were like no they didn't pay and then she says I'm busted what are we gonna do <clears throat> and the manager was like she seemed kind of like she was in a trance as he spoke to her she was like muttering something about she would settle the debt with sex like she just Ooh. seemed really out of okay. it um and the manager instructs the hostess to call the police because they're like, somebody needs to like check on her or something's right. wrong. Um, so the, ho- the ho- there's actually like uh, footage of this 911 call um, on that episode I told you about. And the hostess tells the dispatcher, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill. She sounds pretty crazy. She may be on drugs or something. We want you to come give her a ride. Okay. So the police come and... Um, when they ask her, you know, hey, what's uh, what's up? What's going on? Tell us about yourself. Where do you live? What what? Who is your family? She says, my parents are dead, which, by the way, is not true. Okay. Uh, she says her parents are dead. Her mother is Mother Earth. Okay. Yikes. Okay. And that she lives with her great grandmother Mildred. That part's true. That one I could. That um, one I could vibe with. <laughs> exactly. So she gave the phone number, and they were like, "Great, because that's someone they can call." And they call Mildred, and poor Mildred, she's 91. She's very confused what's going on. Um, and she says, hey, let, let me get my credit card. I'll pay the bill over the phone. And the manager says, no, you can't pay it over the phone. You need to drive the 40 miles <gasps> to Malibu to sign for it. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, I'm 91. I can't do. I can't drive to Malibu right now at nighttime. And uh, then they say, well, then you have to fax in a copy of the card. And she says, I don't have a fax machine. And so she's like, shit out of luck, basically. Yeah. Um, And she's like willing to pay. It's just really frustrating. So uh, Mildred spoke to my briefly and she said she sounded really unfazed um, by the whole situation, even though the police were there and just seemed like, oh, everything's fine. You know, great grandma. Don't worry. Right. But she Um, definitely like sounded like she had some concern. Yeah, like she's uh, about to be in trouble for for something, for like an actual crime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, members of the L.A. Sheriff's Department arrive while my Teresa is still on the phone and they kind of assess the situation. Uh, At this point, Mildred is calling Latisse, my Teresa's mother, and saying, hey, this is going on in Malibu um, with my Teresa and deputies. Meanwhile, are searching my Teresa's car, which is outside, you know, the 98 honda and uh (laughs) so they find her id they find several bottles of alcohol half a case of beer along with some scraps of marijuana in the center console Mm. and the marijuana was less than an ounce but 
you know America. Yep. Um, I sure do. So, I sure do. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. So one deputy notices that, you know, my Teresa is still making these odd statements, appears to be intoxicated. So they give her a sobriety test. Uh-huh. She is stone cold sober. What? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. I did so not something see that coming. Is- okay. No, I know. And so something else is going on here. Um, She's arrested at this point on suspicion of defrauding an innkeeper. Which seems like a huh. really old school law. It sounds like something that would happen in like Shrek. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the Shrek legal code. Oh, um, right. yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like you know when Jesus was at the inn and like they wouldn't let him let Mary give birth, like defrauding yeah, it. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Shrek was there. That's what I'm talking about. Like right, that kind of yeah, yeah. that version of Sh- Shrek 16 or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, I think you mean like Jesus 200. <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> Jesus in the swamp. It's a whole <laughs> it's a whole parable. Don't worry about it's it. The one where I Jesus went to- and Shrek like swap lives like Prince and the Popper. Oh, like Freaky Friday. It's super fun. <laughs> anyway, this is this is what happens when you go to Catholic school your whole life. You just can't you mean the wrap castle? your head. Yeah. Oh, the castle, right? <laughs> um Oh, my God. So basically, they arrest her for that. And they also arrest her for possession of marijuana under one ounce. Yikes. Story for another day. Um, Her Honda Civic is impounded and taken to a nearby lot. Uh, Did you know when for a long time when cars were impounded, I thought it meant that they were like pounded into squares. You know how they do that at junkyards? Interesting. I mean one you're wrong but two you're not like totally wrong like i get what you, i get where your head would have gone it's one of those words i learned when i was younger and i just never got it really fully out of my head that like impounded doesn't mean they're like crushing your car it means like they're just taking it away like the connection makes total sense to me especially as a little kid learning english but like i also think like it it at, at the very least probably kept you from wanting to make sure that never happened to your car so it still worked in in like as a concept yes <laughs> It's true. It did. It did instill deep fear in me. So, uh, so there's that. So that was actually pretty healthy for my psyche. I think over the I mean, many like, years compared of my to life. everything else that you decided was an accurate representation of right. English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Oh my god. So her car is impounded, but kept safe. I'm sure. So Latisse called the Malibu slash Lost Hills police station to ask if my trees would be released that night or in the morning okay. because she was worried about her being released in the middle of Malibu in the middle of the night. Um, and the jailer assures Latisse that yes, she is on the way to the jail, but she will not be released until morning. And he'll even call, have her call her mom when she, when she gets to the jail mm. um, in the fo- phone call, which was recorded. Latisse expresses fear that her daughter uh, would be alone at night in a place she's unfamiliar with. She's from, you know, la proper and um doesn't know malibu at all also if you guys haven't been i'm sure most of you have not but malibu is very rural like it sounds very fancy but it's like mostly ranches and woods and desert the the reason all the celebrities live there is because there's nothing else there like you're hidden by nothing yeah like yeah hills like you're just you get like acres of land if you can afford yeah. it. And that's not a thing you get anywhere else in LA. And like a lot of celebrities or, you know, wealthy people who live out here have ranches out there where they keep, you know, horses, that kind of thing. That's like what 
Malibu is typically known for. It's, it's, so even that and Calabasas are very much the same thing where they're like several hours away from not several, several hours, but like two hours away from the city. So like they can yeah. drive in if they need to work, but for the most part, like nobody is going out there so they can like kind of no. live normal lives. Right. It's like their own like little neighborhood basically. Yeah. And obviously Malibu has, you know, the beach and, and a lot of land, whereas Calabasas is more like a slick, yeah. chic, chic living. Definitely chic. Yeah. The Kardash- <laughs> all the Kardashians and Justin Bieber live in Calabasas. That'll give you the best idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a lot of people who own ranches like Ellen DeGeneres live out in Malibu. Malibu. So just to give you an idea. Oh, and I live right in between. I actually have a house in both. So I actually you... have a I have a glass bridge that can connects me to both of them. <laughs> and you have Eva just like pedal you over in a wagon to get you to. I, I have you drive there. me in your Honda Civic. That's right. Oh, I'll just put on some Faith Hill and drive you over the bridge. <laughs> no, no, no. Make it Michael Jackson. I'm trying to avenge him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Yes. So basically, she's at the jail. She gets there. Unfortunately, the call to Latisse to assure that uh, Mitrice is safe never comes. So Mitrice is booked at the jail. She spends a couple hours in a holding cell. And around 1230 a.m. on September 17th, so midnight, uh, deputies tell Mitrice that she's released. And they give her the option of staying in a cell uh, or in the lobby until morning. Mm. Or she can leave. Okay. And again, the night before, Latisse just, like, begged the people at the jail, like, please hold her until morning so that I can sure. come get her safely because she does not know this area. Don't release her in the middle of the night. Well, it's 1230 a.m. and they say, hey, you're you're free to go. They're like, it's um, morning now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. True. Um, and so Maitrice has nothing but the clothes she was arrested in, which is jeans, two T-shirts, a belt, by the way, pink alligator belt, just just throwing that out there. Important That's the most detail. Malibu thing I've ever heard. And sneakers. So she is <laughs> uh, nearly 13 miles from where they impounded her car. And she's 40 miles from her home. Mm. And again, this is 1230. Like I said, it's a really rural area. Uh, when they offered her to, you know, she can stay in the lobby overnight or in a cell. She says she makes a few phone calls and she says, oh, no, my friends are picking me up. And she leaves the station. So she's out there. There's no buses running. There's a strip mall nearby, but it's closed. She's basically stranded in the middle of nowhere. Um, At 5.35 a.m., Latisse calls the station first thing in the morning to arrange the bail, but she's told Mitrice was released five hours prior at 12.30 in the morning. And she's probably like, what the fuck were you thinking? One million percent. She's like, that is exactly against what you promised me. Right. Um, and she calls back immediately and she says, when can I file a missing person's report? Is it 24 or 48 hours? And in the call, the dispatcher. So the policy actually um, is that there's no waiting period to file a missing person's report. If if uh, if you want to report one, it's available to you. However, the dispatcher advises her to wait a few more hours. Okay. So that's not good. No. Um, at 6.30 a.m., a former KTLA news anchor who lived in uh, M- the Montanito area of Malibu, which is about six miles from the station, mm. uh, spotted a woman who ended up being Mitrice in his backyard. What? Okay. Yeah. He sees her sitting there. He asks what she's doing, and she replies, resting. He moves to another window to kind of get a better look, but she has run away. She's gone. Okay. 
So at this point, he calls the police to report a prowler, basically, and be like, someone's like roaming around my backyard early in the morning. Uh, So they go out there, but they don't see anything. And it takes two more days before the sheriff's department actually starts a real search for my trees, because at this point, she has still not been found. She's only been spotted in that guy's backyard six miles away. Mm, Okay. So they start the scent dogs at that news anchor's house because that's where she was last seen. Sure. And uh, they discover footprints that first appear to be walking and then running. And the footprints are lost at a certain point. They disappear near Dark Creek, which leads to Dark Canyon, which they don't end up searching. Um, And because Maitrese is a resident of the city of L.A., uh, the LAPD missing persons unit takes over the case. And then three days later, it's handed off to LAPD's homicide division. Wow. And even though they're saying, you know, this is still a missing persons case, but the homicide division has more resources, which is why they're kind of on the case now. Okay. So the LAPD, uh, you know, going through all her journals, which they found in her impounded car and her MySpace and her texts, conclude that she had been sleep deprived for several days prior to her disappearance, disappearance, excuse me, um, and to the point that, oh, God. Birth control. Birth control. Shit. You don't need that anymore. Right. You're See, pregnant. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, this is proof. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, oh God. Well, I better take that later. You guys might be prophetic or something. I forget. <laughs> please take it. Please take it. We all want you to take, please it. take it. Yeah, I clearly don't want to trigger anyone's anxiety like I apparently would. I like everyone else's anxiety. As if your anxiety wouldn't go flying yeah, through the fucking like, roof. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Now I just like frantically lost my page. Okay. <laughs> bala, 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 bala. <laughs> Oh, chaos. Okay. So they determined that she had been sleep deprived. And when I say sleep deprived, like there was literally no break in her posts. Like she would just type, write and type and text Ugh, wow. for days without like any sort of significant break for sleep. Also, like at that point, like, I'm sorry, but at that point, what are you typing like for 24 hours straight like are you writing a book and like i feel like my mom would try to do that and accidentally put it in the like, the facebook wall post oh section. god yeah and the, well so like why how how were they able to det- i mean i don't expect you to know this answer but how were they able to determine like was it every like within every 10 minutes so they knew she at least wasn't sleeping for 10 minutes i think minutes? it was probably like there was no significant amount of break as in like several hours like i don't think okay. it was like every five seconds but i think it was like you know she would post at 11 and then she'd post at twelve thirty, and then she'd post again at three like there was no gotcha. like okay. uh in over several days there was no like significant amount of sleep that would no consecutive rem cycles Yes, happening. exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and so she's just posting and posting, and it's all that same kind of rambling stuff that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, um, which is, again, mm-hmm. really unsettling. Uh, they had a psychologist uh, as part of the LAPD assess the situation, and uh, the psychologist determined that Maitrese may have been suffering from an undiagnosed bipolar disorder and was perhaps having a manic episode. And, you know, she believed that this maybe explained, uh, you know, her erratic behavior, her, her like um, overzealousness to talk to other people, her kind of okay. spontaneity in driving to Malibu and like not paying her bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really, you know, that kind of thing, it started to add up like all her ramblings on how she understands the meaning of life like this. 
this psychologist said that could perhaps point to undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Sure. Um, at the same time, both of my Teresa's parents said, um, you know, she, they said, you know, she must have been having a psychotic break. Like there, this is the only explanation. But her former girlfriend Tessa said she never saw any signs of mental illness previously. I mean, at the same time, though, like this is just me speaking armchair armchair wise but um you know a lot of these uh mental illnesses do manifest in your early 20s so it could be a situation where maybe it hadn't presented so strongly before right you know kind of surfacing or showing yeah yeah so i think uh just the fact even that her parents were like something she had had a uh, an issue um, some sort of mental illness was playing a part um is pretty telling uh, so remember how police said, oh, she called friends to pick her up uh, at the yeah. jail. Yeah. So they looked at phone records and it showed that the only calls she made were to her great grandmother uh, before uh, leaving. She made four calls. However, Mildred doesn't remember receiving the calls. So that was a little shady. Um, but that's what they said. Uh, detectives also discovered in her car her cell phone, her ID, her checkbook and her ATM card. And she had over $2,000 in her account. So she had more than enough mm-hmm. to pay her restaurant bill. So there was never a point where she, like, couldn't pay the bill. Like, she had money on her person. Interesting. She was just, like, creating this whole situation out of nothing. Yeah. She just didn't know what to do or, or, or yeah, was like She ignoring. forgot the concept of payment or something. Or that, yeah. And so she basically just had the money and that e- makes it even stranger that just didn't add up yeah that's the eerie part because like none of this had to happen exactly exactly it's like one step away from like being solved um so questions started to arise at this point as to why the malibu uh deputies released someone obviously unwell into the night with no means no means of transportation no, nothing on her person like all yes, her stuff even even when her grandma was like i'm coming to get her just like keep her there yeah that was that was her mom but yeah her, oh, her exact mom. exactly though like her mom was like i will pick her up at 5 30 in the morning i'll be there right and like instead at 12 30 they released her with no wallet because again her atm cards in her car no cell mm-hmm. phone nothing um and so they release her into the pitch black of malibu night um which is also a very like wilderness heavy area Right. A lot of like woods and brush and that kind of thing. Um, so the department spokesperson at the time said that the decision to release Mitrice um, happened because she exhibited no signs of mental illness or intoxication. Quote, she was fine. She's an adult. Ooh, Which, okay. okay. Uh, however, journalists immediately pointed out that deputies from the same station had no problem giving Mel Gibson a ride back to his impounded car when he was there arrested in 06, three years prior. There uh, it is. And by the way, arrested for way worse fucking things than right. like <laughs> less than an ounce of marijuana. Let's just put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Richardsons had hired a civil rights attorney uh, to represent them. And he made a statement that, quote, if Mitrice Richardson's name was Spears or Lohan, they would never let her walk out by herself. They would have escorted her home. And that's kind of Bingo. where the whole, um, just this whole uh, fight began between the family and uh, their supporters, as well as, you know, the actual L.A. Sheriff's Department, the Malibu Police Department. 
Um, and so Latisse and her sister Lauren, uh, so Mitrice's aunt, asked for security tapes from the station. They wanted to see uh, security tapes to see what Mitrice was doing. Like maybe they could get some hint of what was going on before she was released. Right. And uh, the captain tells them, no, there are no tapes. They don't exist. The cameras we have are only for observation and they don't record anything. What? Then why? Okay. Well, first of all, why are wouldn't you want to record something you might observe? You'd think that, right? Okay. <laughs> like, basically, he was saying it was just, like, a security camera that someone monitored, but they didn't, like, save the recordings. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, exactly. So then on January 6, 2010, um, Latisse and some family members met again with cap- this captain and sh- the sheriff, Lee Baca, and they told them, oh, you know what? We actually found the recordings in in my top drawer of my what? desk. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they were like... Why did you say there weren't any? And he literally said, "Um, he literally said, well, I thought you you were saying you wanted footage from outside the jail, not inside oh, the jail. fuck off. Okay. Well. And she was like, what are you talking about? Okay. Like, of course we wanted it of her in the jail. Like. <laughs> okay. So that's the one thing they haven't to this day been able to say, like, yeah, that was all kosher. That was right. <laughs> that you know, made sense. Because. Yeah, that made sense. Like a lot of the stuff has been defended. That's one of the things I've noticed. They never outright said like, "No, we were in the right." Like, I they said they say it in a way of like, "Should we have been more forthcoming?" Perhaps. Oh my God. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. Per perhaps. Fucking haps, I believe so. Mayhaps you should have been. Um, <laughs> Methinks thou shall. <laughs> Methinks. <laughs> oh my God! Now you're sounding like Shrek. I'm just Shrek. part. I'm- I was actually a background actor in Jesus 200 where he swaps with the swamp in the castle. <laughs> what is happening? Okay. Um, let's see. So it takes, even though now they have these tapes on record, uh, it takes three more months before the family can see them. That's how long it takes them to like, let the family take a look. Uh, and this time, this whole time she's still missing. So like any, every second counts, you know? Right. Um, then on January 9th, 2010, uh, one of the largest searches in Los Angeles history was launched with nearly 400 search and rescue volunteers covering an 18-mile radius around where Mitrice was last seen. Wow. Unfortunately, they found nothing. Um, and then at, finally at the end of March, so again, she disappeared in September, and now we're in March. Uh, at the end of March, after what the Sheriff's Department attributed to technical difficulties, uh the family is finally allowed to view the footage from the jail uh of my trees great yeah so they look at the footage and uh are shocked like it's pretty much what it confirms their fears that she looks agitated she's rocking back and forth she's like hanging on the bars uh her mom said it was almost infantile behavior like she clearly wasn't well she was just like pulling on the bars and hanging on wow. them and like she didn't look well. Um, it also appears to be edited, which is super and sketchy. And also quite believable if they were taking four exactly. ever to show it. Technical difficulties, right? Yeah. Um, and so, for example, Mitrice was holding a piece of paper. And then in the next frame, the paper was crumpled on the ground. And there just seemed to be like <gasps> some time slip where like, oh, what happened? Who knows? Oh, my God. Um, okay. So like very obviously something was either tampered with or some footage was erased. Uh, the recordings also show a deputy leaving the station just after Mitrice, despite police having confirmed to the family multiple times there were no deputies present. That's why no one offered her a ride. Nobody was able to help her because there were no deputies there. And then they see a deputy there 
talking to her like oh my in the room and so they're like why didn't that guy give her a ride and there's just like no confirmation as to and it's just lies are building up at this point they're just you know? like we should have been more forthcoming yes may mayhaps yeah mayhaps yeah so both so at this point it's kind of weird there are a bunch of sightings in las vegas of my trees and one of the sightings of is of uh was by my trees's father who said he saw her on the strip, like walking around and he tried to f- chase after her and she disappeared. Then shortly after a high school friend claimed to have seen her um, in one of the casinos and police went and followed those leads, but got nowhere basically. Uh, but apparently like 70 to 80 people um, filed like, you know, sightings of her in Las Vegas at this time. Oh, wow. So they really thought this was like a, a legit lead. So they went, but they, they couldn't find her. Um, and it's really sad because when you watch the show, when the, they're talking about this, um, Latisse says, I, this is horrible. Um, she says, I knew her light had gone out. Oh. Like I, her father said she, that he saw her in Las Vegas. And as much as I wanted to have hope, I knew her light had gone out. And she said the worst part was that she knew she still had to find her. Like, even though she knew wow, basically in her soul, what had happened, she said, I just, I knew I still had to find her, so which is like the most heartbreaking um, thing. So uh, it's at this point, July 2010, that Latisse files her first lawsuit against the sheriff's department for negligence sure. in releasing my trees. Um, and then on August 9th, so almost a year later, I think it's 11 months later, two park rangers uh, were checking on a former marijuana grow site that had been defunct, but they were checking to make sure. Um, and it was about two and a half miles from where my trees was last seen. And it's a really, really, like, rocky, uh, inaccessible area. It's full of poison oak and sumac. There's, like, boulders and debris. There's no uh, trail to follow. So these ranchers – or, sorry, not these ranchers. These uh, rangers are going through and, um, you know, it's a difficult uh, incline. Sure. And at this point, they figure out, okay, looks like this marijuana grow site is still defunct. They're satisfied with this conclusion. So they go back downhill and they're kind of following the terrain to get down. And on the way, they discover a skull as well as the semi-mummified body of a naked woman lying in the brush. Oh, shit. Okay. So they call the discovery into the sheriff's office and The sheriff's office arrives to secure the scene and the protocol is to contact the coroner's office right away, but it takes them over two hours before they call the coroner. What the fuck is going on over here? I know. I know. And it's just so frustrating, this whole thing. Um, Even after her death, like it's still just so frustrating. Um, So the sheriffs then tell the coroners they don't have a helicopter to fly them there. So uh, don't worry about it, basically. Right. And the protocol is that the coroner needs to see the location and look for evidence in the soil around the corpse before the body is taken away. Right, like they, they need to exactly like get as much evidence as possible and investigate the scene. So after uh, a while against policy and after more than six hours, sheriff's deputies, instead of getting the coroner involved, loaded up her remains into a body bag and airlifted it out of dark Canyon. What the f- and, um, okay. Just totally out of policy. Uh, I'm not even a out cop of line. and know that you, that is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I watch enough Criminal Minds to know basic procedure. Yeah, exactly. Not even, but, but this seems really off to me. Uh, really <laughs> fucked up to people who aren't even like, uh, like exactly. in, in this field. 
No, exactly. Um, the And this is even more horrifying. The only photos taken were ones that the park rangers had taken. So the Shut sheriff's the department didn't even up. take any photos of so the they scene. They literally just said, who fucking cares you found a body? We might as well just like throw it in the river. Yeah, it's getting dark. Who cares? Let's get her out of here. What it sounds like at the very least. Yeah. And so August 12, 2010, uh, Sheriff Lee Baca made the really tragic announcement to the public that the remains found in Dark Canyon were indeed the remains of Maitree Slavon Richardson. Oh, my gosh. And um, they, ha- although the coroner's office could not determine cause of death, uh, investigators. Why not? Determined- there was no, no evidence. <laughs> like they could- but they had such a careful and close look. But they yeah. did such a good job being as meticulous as possible. Yep. Um, so some investigators suggested, uh, oh, sorry. So it's, they said, oh, we couldn't determine a cause of death. Um, but investigators determined that no foul play had taken place. Uh, some investigators suggested that my tree suffering from the bipolar disorder that the psychologist had believed she had, uh, walked into the Canyon, took off her clothes and succumbed to anaphylactic shock from extensive poison oak exposure. So that was one of the possible, uh, reasons as to how she ended up there. Um, and so then the family was like, no, fuck this. So they hired uh, a an internationally renowned anthropologist named Clea Koff. And she went and looked at the pictures, examined the body. Uh, and she disagreed with the coroner's findings because she said there was lack of animal disturbance. Uh, there was mishandling of evidence, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And a later visit to the site, uh, they found a finger bone that the sheriff's department had missed, like just laying there. So that's oh how God. like thorough they were, you know. Um, yeah. So in 2011, Latisse filed another suit against the sheriff's department. This time, Mitrice's father, Michael, also filed. And later that year, the sheriff's department settled uh, for nine hundred thousand dollars, four hundred fifty thousand each to uh, my, uh, Latisse and Michael. So finding the initial autopsy incomplete, um, Mitrice's body was exhumed again on July 13, 2011, to perform a second autopsy. Um, and Latisse wanted the FBI to conduct the examination, but the LAPD did it instead. Okay. Um, great. Uh, findings from the second autopsy were not made public, so we don't actually know the results of that at this point. Um, however, several conduct and internal investigations against the sheriff's department concerning the handling of Mitrice's case were launched. Okay, good. Um, and the investigation actually found no wrongdoing whatsoever uh, in the handling of her case. Okay, <laughs> Do we get an explanation for why? Mm, Great. I mean, you get a little more context, I guess. Okay. So thankfully, at least changes in policy have since been made. So despite having found no direct wrongdoing, uh, the the policies were changed since then. Um, in 2016, the California Attorney General's office announced there was insufficient evidence to charge anyone involved in handling Mitrice's case. Uh, several investigative journalists have since found many inconsistencies in the investigation, most of which relate back to that initial night when she was at the station in Malibu. That's kind of where all of the chaos began, sure, basically. Yeah. And as recently as September 2019, on the 10th anniversary of the last sighting of Mitrice Richardson, the current Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva stated that the case is still open, but he will not open another investigation into the LA Sheriff's Department conduct. Um, However, fun fact, this is your little context um, that hopefully is at least a little beneficial here. So Sheriff Lee Baca, who was one of the people who gave them a really hard time with the video footage, etc. 
Sheriff Lee Baca, along with several members of the L.A. Sheriff's Department, are currently serving prison sentences on unrelated charges ranging from bribery to corruption. Well, good. So if that gives you any sort of answer. That's that makes me feel so much better. I was like, what the hell is going on at this police station? Like, what is happening? Yeah, apparently things, uh, I mean, just saying, if you're if you're thinking that, like, this is where Mel Gibson goes when he's arrested. And, uh, you know, I can see why there might be some corruption and uh, bribery going on in a place like Malibu. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so whether or not failures by law enforcement were, as my Teresa's family and many other people believe, based in racism, potentially homophobia and police corruption, or mm. as the current sheriff's department asserts, the result of poor policy and loopholes, everyone uh, across the board agrees that my Therese Richardson paid the ultimate price. And unfortunately, her family is still suffering through that. And that is a case of my Therese Richardson, which has been like looming in the back of my mind for about a year now. That's just always one of those cases that gives me the, like, I want to punch a wall, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. At least, at least there's that silver lining of like the people who were involved in it are like, you know, put away. But then again, it's for unrelated reasons. For something different. And they, and the, the investigation was like, nope, they didn't do anything wrong, which just must be so heartbreaking and frustrating as a family. I can't imagine being a part of her family and just being like, Oh, we're not going to open another investigation into their negligence. It's like, yeah, how, yeah. How do you not do that? Yeah. Especially now that they're in jail. Like, I think that gives you a good idea of what was going on. Exactly. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that's that case. That was a doozy, man. That one had me on the edge of my seat. I know that one's crazy. And it's, it does remind me of the, the priceless piece. Cause like, even though this time, you know, they did find her body, there's still like so many unanswered questions, you know, like what was going on in the weeks leading up to this? Like what happened? How did she end up, you know, two and a half miles? It's from where from like a very detached perspective. It's the most interesting for a, like a really fucked up thing that happened to someone. But like, it's also upsetting because there's no answers at the end. It's like, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What happened? And it's, I don't I know and I don't either and I mean I think the the assessment of like obviously you know I think some mental health issue was being was at play considering you know she was completely sober um but just like you know what did was it homicide her her parents believe it was homicide um some people believe it was just you know she walked out into the woods and died of right. you know exposure or whatever but it's just like we'll probably never know which is extremely upsetting right yeah but well that's that (laughs) the end well everyone go listen to faith hill this kiss um go listen to some jackson um go listen to m on on the podcast yes the the carrie carrie allen uh picture show so yeah uh but yeah so let me make sure that i'm saying it right or i that i spell it right for you guys in case you go you want to look it up um, Carrie. Oh. I just want to make sure because I always get the. I always want to put an E in Carrie, so it's the Carrie Allen Picture Show. C A R Y A L L E N Picture Show. Um, Got it. But yeah, go listen to that. You'll, you know, I, at the very least, just go support Dennis because he's a, a very good friend of mine. He's a very nice person. So, um. But yeah, other than that, um, we hope you're doing okay. We hope that uh, you're not also punching walls right now after that story. 
Go look up Dorothy Eady. Go go have a fun time learning about her multiple lives. Let's think about past lives um, before bed just to kind of calm our nerves. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope everyone's doing okay. We're thinking about you and we are missing each other. We are missing you guys since we're missing all our shows. Um, It's a tough time, but we are uh, trying to connect as much as possible. So keep an eye out on our social media. We're trying to stay stay up with you there and we'll just keep plugging away on the podcast, whether you like it or not. And we'll keep reminding Christina to take her birth control just in case. Oh, thank you. I got to go do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. And? That's why we drink, especially because I'm not pregnant, so I can drink. Okay. (laughs) In a fast paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.